Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Lessons from the First Church by Pastor Sean Wood. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. And I would invite you to take over now and just use me as a mouthpiece. Keep me from error, I pray. Open our hearts and our ears. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, you'd like to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Uh, our, our TV screens are filled with reality TV shows. Reality TV shows like The Bachelor. That, that one's a beauty. Uh, maybe even Married at First Sight. If that's not making a mockery of marriage, I don't know what it is. But marriage at First Sight. Amen. Yeah, reality shows. But it, the one I really like might surprise you. One of my favourite reality TV shows is Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares. I know, I know, right? He's got a mouth that you pray he doesn't kiss his mother with. But uh, uh, when you cut beneath all the swearing and the fact that he's English, uh, when you remove all the, all, all the necessities, uh, you actually find a guy who knows what he's talking about. And I've seen documentaries on the life of Gordon Ramsby, and he swears at home as much as he does in the kitchen, which is interesting enough. But uh, filthy mouth. However, when they go to his restaurants, they are immaculate. The food is top-notch. He kind of lives what he preaches a little bit, but he, he walks into these flailing restaurants. And I appreciate a little bit because he walks into restaurants that are struggling, restaurants that are bordering on bankruptcy. Uh, the chef is out the back struggling away and nothing's kind of working and he manages to be able to turn these restaurants around. He manages to be able to turn them from something very glum to something that is profitable. And of course, there's a lot of swearing, there's a lot of fights in the process. And what we actually see when he walks in, something very interesting I've I've noticed is that when things start going bad, everybody tries to fix the front of house. When when things aren't good, it's like, well, let's let's give the restaurant another coat of paint. Let's let's dress everything up on the outside. Let's change the uniforms that the staff are wearing. And and Gordon Ramsay points out very beautifully, I think it's a, a very deeply theologically profound point, that you can clean up the front as much as you like, but if you've still got all the problems in the back, you've still got all the problems out the front. However, what he does point out is, he goes out to the chef and says, look, you know what, everybody's watching going, why worry about cleaning the kitchen? Who sees it anyway, right? I mean, he's found mice in toasters. Everyone's going to have a bad night's sleep tonight now. I've worked in kitchens. I worked in uh, the casino in Launceston where there was five different food outlets. Never complain to the chef. That's my theological advice to you. If you have a bad meal, smile, walk out and never go back. But what we do learn is that when you clean up the back of house, the front of house will take care of itself. You know what, if you clean your kitchen, you get, you get some passion in the kitchen, you start cooking good food, you, you, you simplify the menu, you, you strip things down and just give good food, good service, good price. You know what, the people will just come in the door. I was watching Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares and I'm not really looking to start swearing. However, I, I wonder across, as we look across the landscape of church whether we may fall into a similar trap. I wonder whether we fall into a similar trap where we think that everything is all about dressing up the front of house and making everything look good. Those things are important, by the way. We should present ourselves well. Those things are important. If you want to know, God's a God of detail. Read the book of Leviticus. Uh, once you, most people fall asleep halfway through Leviticus, but 
if you read it, you'll see God is a God of detail. No problems with that. But when our motivation is, let's just dress everything up at the front, and you've got all these problems in the back. And I was challenging myself. I've got to stop doing these things. But I was challenging myself, and I wonder if a kind of a Gordon Ramsay walked into church today. What if, what if Paul the Apostle, what if he walked into church today, what would he, what would he say? What questions would he ask us? You know, we, we all say we want a church like the book of Acts, and be careful what you wish for, by the way. We're going to see that by the time we finish today. You know, we all want to, and, and we can't be a church like the church in the book of Acts because the culture was enormously different. However, there are some governing principles, and there is a blueprint that God has laid out that we're going to work our way through today, which is the blueprint for how we should operate as a church. And I think, I think the threat and the danger is that we can get wrapped up in everything that's not important. Maybe, maybe Paul would have some... I'd have some questions for Paul, by the way. I'd have questions like, how'd you do it? How did you get every single believer to grab hold of the vision and the mandate that we're to share the gospel and spread the good news? How did you do that? The other question I would ask is, how did you, in a generational span take the gospel to your known world, which was Asia Minor at that point in time. But what questions would he ask us? I wonder. Acts chapter 2, we know the context. Peter, shy, deny Christ kind of Peter stands up and preaches the sermon of a lifetime, 5,000 people are saved. We move on to the church in its infancy. Now, this is not church in its embryonic form. That was Jesus and the disciples. But what we do see is uh, Luke, the historian who's writing the book of Acts, is writing a record and he's describing what he sees in the first church. Let's Let's work our way through this blueprint together, shall we? Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We read that verse and we kind of slip on past one of the most important words that I think is in this section, and it says, They devoted themselves. The word devoted here means an earnest to be earnest towards, to be steadfast, or to be single-minded, to have a single-minded fidelity. These guys were earnest. These guys were passionate. These guys were dedicated. These guys were committed. These guys were devoted. I'm preaching to myself. I don't know why you guys turn up on Sunday. I just preach to myself, by the way. But this week I was challenged. Does that word describe Sean Wood? If Luke was here today, if Luke was following Sean around and he was writing an account of Sean's Christian life, is it devoted a word that he would use? If Luke spent some time in church, if if Luke spent some time here at the Rock, is devoted a word Paul or Luke or the early apostles would use? Last week, for those that were able to join us, I spoke about the, some of the allegorical writings of uh, Mr Bunyan. And in his allegorical writings, he uses a reference to a man by the name of Mr Facing Both Ways. And Mr Facing Both Ways, he, he loves Jesus, yes. He wants more of Jesus, yes. But 
This half of him does. The other half over here is like, but I still love the world and, and I still want all of the world. And, and devotion speaks about being single. It speaks about making a commitment. One of the greatest evangelists of the last century, Billy Graham, had a, uh, a very close friend, Templeton. For anybody who knows the story, Chuck Templeton, anybody who knows, uh, Chuck Templeton travelled with him uh, for some time and after a while Templeton puts his hand up and says, you know what, I, I'm not sure I'm a Christian anymore. In fact, five years before his death, Templeton would write the book, Goodbye God. <laughs> Billy Graham would speak about his same experiences where he was questioning the authenticity of the word of God and the Christian faith and he, he struggled with it for many times and over many months and then he says, I can remember coming to God in prayer. He walked out into the woods and he put his stump up on the Bible, uh, sorry, he put his Bible up on a stump and he knelt down and he says, Lord God, I take your word to be the word from your mouth and I will follow you and this word with all of my heart and he said, my life changed in an instant. He said, my ministry changed in an instant. What did Billy Graham do? Billy Graham decided, I'm going to remove all of the peripheral and I'm going to live by God's word. They devoted themselves, well, this is what I love, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the truth of God's word, the truth of the revelation of Jesus Christ. I, I, I wonder whether, I think if, if we look across the landscape of church, maybe Paul would walk in, walk in and say, whatever happened to preaching the word of God? How come the word of God in our individual lives and in our corporate lives perhaps has taken a back seat? Thank you for recommending Saving Christianity, Levi. What a book by Dr. Michael Yusuf. Dr. Michael Yusuf went, was an Egyptian man, for those who know Dr. Michael Yusuf, he teaches very well, but he was an Egyptian man. He goes to pastor a church in America and begins preaching. He is told by all of his contemporaries, listen, dude, you're going to have to dull your message down or no one's going to turn up. Go to his church and see how many people are there. He decided, I'm not going to dull the message down. I'm going to preach the word of God. I'm going to preach it as it is, the truth of God's word, and you can't find a seat on Sundays. Praise God. Paul writing to Titus chapter 2, verse 1. I'm one of the leaders of the early church. He says, teach things fitting for sound doctrine. Teach things fitting for sound doctrine. That word sound means healthy. You want a healthy church? You preach sound doctrine. You live by sound doctrine. You want to lead a healthy spiritual life? It starts here. Right here. But we've, we've gone to progressive Christianity, which is just a banner of saying, you know, what love wins and everything's okay and it's all right and we have a little bit of God, but we're trying to pump up our own life and, and we've mistaken the Bible to mean that Jesus came to pump up your life here and to give you more of the world. Jesus never came to give you more of the world. He came to deliver you out of it. He came to give us a hope that's beyond this world. What I love about the first church is they were filling the temple. They were filling homes. They didn't have to have any gimmicks. What did Paul say? We don't come to you with flattering speech and well rehearsed. No, no, no. We come to you in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. 
no gimmicks, no events. We don't have to have monthly events. We don't have to do any of those things. Why? Because God's word. The reason is simply this. No man, woman or child on earth can make Jesus any more attractional. You can turn the lights off, you can, you can hold a concert, you can do whatever you like, you can put fog machines on up the front, we can, we can get people who actually know how to preach and do all those sorts of things, but at the end of the day, you can't make Jesus any more attractional. But I pray that as a community, as we come together, that the veil would drop and we'd see more of him. If we saw just the tiniest glimpse of Jesus' glory, you'd, you'd fill this place. Open our eyes to see Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It's interesting. They didn't devote themselves to events. They didn't devote themselves to concerts and all those sorts of things. Here's another one I love. I brag about you guys everywhere I go because it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And quite often we think fellowship equals coffee and donuts. And who's waiting for the donuts, right? But, but at the end of the day... Fellowship means far more than that. Uh, we farewelled uh, a, a wonderful man on Wednesday, uh, a man by the name of John Maxwell, not the American John Maxwell, but a member of our community. If there was one word to me that summed up John Maxwell, it was connection. If there's one word that sums up the word fellowship here, it's connection. Uh, many people through COVID, I get it, they've said, you know what, we've gotten used to doing church in our pyjamas, we're just sipping on cups of tea at home, this is awesome. Well, I tell you now, it's all right for a little while. It, when you've got a raging fire, take one of the coals out of the fire and sit it over here for a while. And what's going to happen is the longer you leave it over there, it's going to burn down. Eventually it'll burn out and it'll go completely and utterly cold. But here's the beautiful truth about God's community. Anytime you're ready, you can plug back in. Because if you take that coal and you put it back in the fire, what happens? Once again, it ignites. And the fires burn and the temperature rises. I think the first apostles, if you allow me a little bit of liberal theology here, would walk in here and say, how come you think pastoral care has to come from the pastor. The church in the first century went from 120 to thousands in an instant. And if I had a question for the first apostles, I'd say, how did you do that? How did you do that and nobody fell through the cracks? How were you able to grab hold of this community and lead them and pastor them and nobody fell through the cracks? And they would say, that's easy. We weren't pastoring them. Everybody was. I brag about you guys everywhere I go. Why? Because if there is one place I see congregational pastoring, it's here. If I'm not here and I'm on holidays, this place goes better than when I am here. You guys don't need me. If I'm not here and somebody new turns up, I know for sure they're going to get slobbered on before they get out. (laughs) And I love every single one of you for that. I know that if somebody's in need... I'm one of 400 text messages. You know, it's like everybody's phone's going off. And I love that. Because the truth of the matter is, I will never be enough. It doesn't matter whether the church is 20 or 220. I will never be enough. Jesus designed us to live in community. Jesus designed us to be connected. 
And that tight connection gets tighter and tighter and tighter and it is the net that pulls in unbelievers. It is, a net, it is the net that catches the unbelievers. It is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and here's a beauty, prayer. This quote is anonymous, but I love it. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. I love that. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. If if you've got OCD here this morning and you're a control freak, the first church would not have suited you. If you like to be in control and like everything ordered and structured like I do, because I'm a bit of a control freak, if that's you today, you would not have survived in the first church. Man, it was all over the place. Gesundheit, bless you, brother. I thought someone was cheering me on. but What I do know about the first church, anywhere you go in the book of Acts, whenever they hit trouble, whenever they hit persecution, whenever they were trying to make decisions, whenever they were together, they were doing something. It's called prayer. And when Peter was locked up in jail and all hope was lost because they just killed James and they were certain they were going to kill Peter as well, everybody got together and prayed. <laughs> and when Peter knocked on the door, everyone's like, It's got to be his angel. (laughs) Everything they did, they saturated in prayer. Every move they made, they saturated in prayer. The extent of our reliance and our dependence upon God will be seen in how much we pray. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that is communion, and to prayers. And here's a big one. And awe came upon every soul. I think one of the questions that the first apostles would ask us is, where has your wonder of God gone? You know when your kids are young and you you read them those stories and when they're 18 months old, 2 years old, 3 years old, 4 years old, their imagination is captivated by those stories and they're, they're You can see the wonder in their eyes as you read these stories to them. But by the time they get 8, 9 or 17, they they don't want you to read stories to them like that anymore. They've lost the wonder. And this awe that comes upon everybody is a direct reflection upon the fact that the divine presence of God was at hand amongst the first church. There's a beautiful analogy of what this looks like. What are we talking about when we say awe? We're using uh, the word awe, but it could mean fear or reverence or reverential respect. But if you manage to stay awake and get to about the 10th chapter of Leviticus, there's a very interesting account that happens. What happens in the first nine chapters of Leviticus is God comes down to Israel and he institutes the order of worship. This is how the ceremony should, this is how the sacrifices should take place. The priests should do this and everything. Then we get to chapter 10 and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, I know right, what's wrong with Peter and Paul? Yeah, okay. We got it right. But the, Nadab and Abihu decide we're going to do worship our way. And in chapter 10 verse 3 in Leviticus it says that they lit strange fire or unauthorised fire. And fire came out from the presence of God and consumed them. And Aaron was a little bit ticked. And Moses said, did God not say that for those that will be near me, I must be sanctified or I must be feared? 
I think if the apostles, I'm not, I don't know about you guys, but I know if they walked into me today, they would say, how come everything else seems to clog up that number one place in your heart, Sean? How come, how come you've allowed God to become so ordinary in so many ways? You see, to sanctify God in our hearts, that's what Peter says. Peter said that in chapter 3, verse 15 of his epistle. He says, honour the Lord Jesus or sanctify the Lord God in your hearts as holy. What does that mean? What, do, what does it mean to sanctify? What, what does it mean for us to sanctify God? We take God from the very ordinary, that's what the word sanctify means, and we put him in the place of the very special. It's kind of like the crockery that you have in your house for when the pastor comes over. Or, or it's the coffee you put in the jar just for when the co- pastor comes over, right? It's that it's, you've sanctified that. You've set that apart. You don't, you don't use it for your common use. You don't use that crockery every time you have tea. You don't put kale on this stuff. <laughs> Mrs. Johnson's not here today, so I thought I could slip that one in. what happened in the first church was God had the number one place and he had no competition. Maybe if Gordon Ramsay was here, maybe he'd walk into our lives and say, well, you know what the biggest problem is? If you put God back at the number one place and got some fire inside of you and you're a little bit more devoted, maybe everything on the outside would change. And awe came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. I love this. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. There's a beautiful description of the first community. I think what we miss here is a little bit of context. Pentecost was, it was the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, not we call that Pentecost. And Pentecost is a feast which, similar to the Passover, would see a lot of pilgrims from the diaspora, which is basically Jews from all, from all over the place, would swell upon Jerusalem for this one-time feast. And <clears throat> the, the enormity of it all probably escapes us, but there was a very beautiful custom amongst the Jews. They would accept anybody, any stranger, into their house when the feast was on. You would come in, no charge... It wasn't. It was just expected that they would look after the guests as the city swelled. And our resources are your resources. That's what it means to have everything in common. And it was a beautiful description. But what happened was everybody's in their house and they're normally going away after a few days, right? Pentecost is done. Everybody's going home. But then whack, Holy Spirit hits, and these guys are like, "We're not going anywhere." Didn't matter. They just said, "No worries. Pull up. We've plenty of kale out the back. You can help yourself for as long as you like." And what Luke is describing is these guys just had everything in common. In chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, we read phrases like, they were together and they were of one accord. And the beauty that hides behind that verse is that the analogy is of two pianos, for example. It's almost impossible to tune one piano to another. It's almost impossible. If you want the two pianos to play in tune, they must be tuned with a tuning fork. And the reference here is 
an ensemble of pianos that are all playing the same tune because they're tuned to an outward source. It's a community of believers in tune with Jesus. Offences just flow out the door. The fact that somebody sat in your seat this morning, if you're, maybe if that's a problem, maybe you're the one that's out of tune with Jesus. They who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions. It's all right, you can keep your possessions. And their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Beautiful description. And here's another thing. What we see was everything God consumed their lives. Why church wasn't once a week. I want a a church like they had it in the first century, pastor. Okay, well, and day by day, These guys were getting together in the temple every day. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. I love how this finishes. And the Lord added to their number. I think we missed that. I'm going to... I'm going to have to get a rent a crowd that can say amen and I'll put them in the back room here somewhere. I'll press a button. <laughs> Praising God and having favour with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Ah, there you go. I'll take that out of the budget. Well, what we see here is a beautiful picture perhaps of exactly what happens when Gordon Ramsay goes to one of these ramshackled kitchens and maybe we're reading a description the same here is you know what if each and every one of us get the back of house stuff right first God will take care of everything else and that doesn't just apply to church life That applies to our individual lives as well. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. I'm going to ask the worship team if they can prepare themselves to come back. We're going to sing one more song before we go home today, but I leave this challenge with you today. Let's read through this passage together again, shall we? Because I believe there are some deep lessons that we can all learn from the first believers. I believe that there is much that we can grab hold of individually and corporately. Let's read it. And they devoted themselves. Is the word devotion something that describes your Christian walk today? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What place does God's word have in your life? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. God has given us the blueprint for church. We try to we try to build the house how we think it should look. We we try to build everything and God says, I've given you the blueprint. I've given you the foundations. The same applies in our own hearts and our own lives. Can we pray together just before we sing? Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives inside of each and every one of us. And I pray, Lord God, that you would press upon our hearts today. Lord, I pray for devotion. I pray for an increase of devotion. I pray for an increase of awe. I pray that very scary prayer this morning, Lord, when I say, please come and sanctify yourself in our hearts. Lord, take take yourself from the place of the ordinary and put yourself in the very place of the special, the honoured possession of our hearts. Lord, we look to you in these times and we ask you, Lord God, to lift the profile of your word in our lives and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.